If you're here for the first time, uh, or you're with us online, for the many of you who are with us online today, we're so glad you're here. Um, we're going to dive right into our text uh, and go ahead and read all of chapter 10 in 2 Corinthians. Uh, but before I begin reading, I do want to point out that today begins the third major section of this section of this letter called 2 Corinthians uh, that was written by the Apostle Paul, a guy named Paul. Uh, and just to get everyone up to speed, chapters 1 to 7 in 2 Corinthians is considered the first major section where Paul defends his apostleship and why he wrote the previously written, or previously written letter. Uh, and so far, he's expressed his thankfulness and their loyalty uh, and encouragement uh, that he's had from the faithful majority. Uh, he's reminded them of who they are and whose they are. Uh, those, so, those first seven chapters of 2 Corinthians are chock full of so much rich truth uh, that this messy and broken church so desperately needed to be reminded of. This Corinthian church, they were a messy church in a messy city uh, full of messy people with messy lives. And Paul, uh, he deeply loved this messy church. They didn't have it all together. Uh, perfectly, but as we've seen, Paul reminded them that they have the gospel. Uh, they have the greatest treasure in Jesus Christ. And that, that great treasure uh, has incredible transforming power that can turn a mess into a masterpiece. And this Corinthian church that Paul's writing to is a testimony to that. And then we saw last week, uh, the second major section of chapters 8 and 9. Uh, those two chapters, they're a bit of an isolated section in 2 Corinthians. They're on, it's on generosity and giving, where Paul encouraged this church to complete what they started with their generous giving, showing them uh, by another church's example uh, of their joy uh, and a, how, how generosity is a joy and a gift uh, that, that God wants for them. Uh, that being generous is a part of the Christian life as a, as a response to the generosity of God. Uh, the, the, you know, and then today, in chapter 10, we begin the third major section uh, where Paul begins to address more directly a small group of people in the Corinthian church who were a bit rebellious. Uh, they were the ones that didn't respect Paul and they thought he shouldn't be considered an apostle. You know, throughout this letter, he's kind of been defending himself uh, as an apostle. And we know from this letter that it most responded well. Uh, but today, Paul turns up the heat. Uh, Paul goes from defense to offense uh, with a stark transition of strong words. And so let's go ahead and read our text today, beginning in verse 1. As he says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some, of who, uh, some, some who suspect us walking according to the flesh, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your, disobe when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is, in, is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we." For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us, to reach even to you. 
for you are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way uh, to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who it is not the one who commends himself who approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So I want to point just some of the overall language here, uh, so we can kind of grasp the tone. Paul said in verse one, he says, "I entreat you." He's pleading with them. He said again in verse two, he says, "I beg of you." You know, we see a tension uh, of and one of his critiques that Paul brings up in verse one, uh, where he is humble. Paul's humble when he's with them, but he's bold with his letters. In his letters. We also see that uh, Paul uses a lot of strong wartime language where he speaks of divine power to destroy strongholds, to destroy arguments, taking thoughts captive. He speaks of uh, public pu- uh, punishing disobedience. Paul speaks frequently of this concept of boasting. He says boast seven times. And he also speaks of several, uh, several times of confidence and commending. Uh, he shows a lot of c- contrast between strength and weakness. There is a lot going on in this one chapter. Uh, There's a lot of strong language and variety. Paul brings out the laundry list for this small group of people. And because of that, as we jump from verse to verse and section to section, it may feel unrelated. Uh, And because of that, we're going to have seven different points today. Seven. But the common theme for all of them is that Paul is back to addressing his critics. Paul is responding again to the conflict at hand. He's addressing the elephant in the room. Paul has been criticized uh, in chapter 10 is his response, correcting his critics. Like I said, he's gone from defense to offense. Paul has stepped into the boxing ring uh, and he starts to throw some punches. He turns up the heat a bit uh, and he brings out the hot sauce, okay, and things get spicy. And so we're going to walk through this chapter. Uh, We're going to see the seven principles that Paul shows us and how he handles conflict. And not just how he handles it, but what he stands on. Paul has, his, uh, Paul has a confidence in the midst of his conflict that alters his approach. We're going to see uh, the wartime ammunition that Paul uses. Uh, we're going to see his choice of hot sauce today. Is he a Tabasco guy? Uh, is he a Texas Pete guy? Uh, I'm a Texas Pete guy myself, but my wife, uh, she's a Frank's Red Hot lady. Uh, so that's the Hovis staple. But all that said, what we're ultimately going to see today as our main idea is that when conflict comes, our confidence, it must be in Christ. As we all know, conflict, it's inevitable. We're in a sinful world with sinful people with many different perspectives and outlooks on life. Marriages have conflicts. Friendships have conflicts. Uh, There are conflicts at work and school with classmates and roommates. And as much as we want there to not be conflict, the hard reality is there will be conflict. But the question that we need to wrestle with today is not so much about who is right and wrong, but how do we handle it? And also, where, does, where do we draw our source of confidence in our conflict? Because we're all going to make wrong decisions. We're all going to have skewed perspectives and emotions and pride and fear and sin and blind spots in every one of our lives. They're always in play. And so what we'll see from Paul today is a helpful guide to how we handle conflict. But more specifically, when we're like ones, maybe the ones being scrutinized, like Paul. And our source of confidence in conflict, I think we can agree, just by looking at everyday conflict in the world, makes a major difference in the outcome of our response. Just think about this, okay? 
if our source of confidence is ourself, then our main goal is to protect ourselves and it creates kind of a natural defensiveness uh, or something that's maybe closely related to that. If our source of confidence is being right uh, in appearing or being superior, then we'll do whatever it takes to, be, to win and to be right. But if our source of confidence is Jesus Christ, then our approach to conflict uh, will, will be and it will look very different. And oftentimes our response in conflict, as we'll see, uh, is just as important, if not more important, than the than actual conflict at hand. You know, like I said, Paul's moved from defense to offense. He turns up the heat and he brings out the hot sauce. Uh, so we're going to see seven principles that Paul shows us for entering conflict with our confidence in Christ. So we're going to have seven principles for that. You know, all showing, all these are going to show at the end of the day, in the midst of our conflict, uh, maybe with a spouse or a friend or a coworker, our confidence and security, it must be in Christ. As we go through this, kind of as a fun parallel illustration, maybe we could say these are the seven steps uh, of encountering the ridiculously hot habanero hot sauce uh, for the extreme hot sauce people, maybe the Mad Dog 357 hot sauce, Okay. Uh, that says, uh, that Mad Dog 357, it says on the label, it says, use at your own risk, uh, which no, I've never had it, and I don't really plan to, um, <laughs> just based off of what I've read. But that said, let's look back at, again at verse 1. Paul says in verse 1, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. Uh, this is stage one of our hot sauce journey. It's that first taste of sweetness that comes when it first hits your tongue. Paul here is talking about being meek and gentle. Here we get an insight into the accusation against Paul. This is part of the conflict that he was encountering, and it's when he was with them in person. He was humble, but when he was away in his writings, he was bold. Uh, and during this time, specifically in Greek culture, during this time, humility, meekness, and gentleness was considered an insult. It portrayed a lack of strength. Uh, which I don't think we have to go far in our culture uh, to see the same thing, that being meek and gentle, we would say in our culture, is oftentimes looked at, it's thought of, of being soft. Uh, being humble means you just get walked all over. A meek, gentle, humble leader in Greek culture, and maybe even in our culture as well, oftentimes is equated to a weak leader, not a strong leader. Maybe when we think of meek and gentle in our culture, uh, maybe we think of Toby from The Office, for you office lovers out there who just gets walked all over uh, as the HR guy. Uh, meek and gentle is often equated to not having a backbone or not having any conviction and it constantly uh, getting tossed uh, and constantly getting tossed and turned. Paul's opponents looked at him in person uh, and didn't see him as a stoic and charismatic strong leader. But what Paul is calling out here is that meekness cannot be equated to weakness. Because Paul urges them by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, that Christ, who is eternally strong, is also meek and gentle. As Paul is dealing with this conflict, he deals with it with meekness, gentleness, and humility, showing us our first principle that Paul shows, uh, displays in conflict. Number one, enter conflict with meekness and gentleness. That means you're slow to speak and quick to listen. Uh, we bite our tongues. We fight to assume the best in people. We try to give people the benefit of the doubt. Paul was slow to take offense. He put up with accusations and he sought to put others first. And as we know, going into conflict with pride and vindictiveness and with the attitude to belittle and put people in their place, it is not helpful. 
When we think of entering into conflict in our natural and sinful flesh, we don't want to be meek and gentle. We think of winning and proving the other person wrong. Meekness and gentleness in conflict may mean uh, you know you're right, but instead of putting the other person in their place and defending yourself and proving them wrong, we respond, we respond the same way Jesus responded to those who were plotting to kill him. He was controlled. Jesus was gracious and gentle. And many times, in some situations, a phrase we may use today is that we take it on the chest. And I know that that goes against our natural flesh, and it's not an easy thing to do, but that is what the Spirit produces in a life that has been transformed by the gospel. Because if the Spirit of God is living inside of us, like Paul when telling the church in this letter, then we will be able to display the fruits of the Spirit in our conflict, uh, displaying love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Listen, being in conflict does not void the fruits of the Spirit. What Paul Tripp has pointed out is that our sin makes our hearts into a wrecking ball, seeking to knock down and destroy and condemn the character of others that we're in conflict with. But what we can't forget that the power of the Spirit of God, when it is with us, changing our hard wrecking ball hearts, it changes us to be meek and gentle like Jesus. And look at verse 2 to see our next hot sauce state. Says, I beg of you, when I am present, I may not be, uh, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. What Paul shows here is that just because he comes in with meekness and gentleness doesn't mean he walks away from the truth. This is the hot sauce stage when you've moved away from the sweet and you've realized what is in your mouth and it has a little kick in it. Okay, uh, Paul is warning them that he will be bold to stand up for what is true. And he'll do it with confidence. Paul's not playing around. As we see him, as, as we see him affirm this a few verses down in verses 5 and 6, he says, We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your, when your obedience is complete. Now, this is where the hot, hot sauce illustration falls apart real quick, okay? Uh, because once you enter into the spicy part of the sauce, uh, the sweet part has completely left the building. That's not what Paul's showing us. Uh, Paul is perfectly sweet and spicy, okay? Uh, Listen, meekness and gentleness does not let go of what is true, and it also doesn't lack confidence. It just gives and portrays what is true with humility and kindness, uh, along with boldness and directness. It gives the hard truth with a velvet hammer. Paul said in verse 5, We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. There's no way you can say meek and gentle Paul had no backbone. He's got some spice to him and he stands his ground. He's also said, he also said, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. There's a wartime language. This is not a passive Paul. He said in verse six, they were ready to punish every disobedience. Paul was meek and gentle, but don't be mistaken. He was also fierce about the truth. Leading us to our second principle for entering into conflict. Number two, enter conflict trusting what is true. Again, just because we portray, just because we portray patience and kindness and gentleness doesn't mean we walk away from the truth. No, what is true needs to be firmly established, but again, all the while withholding vindictiveness and spite and pride. It means standing your ground, but not shooting unnecessary bullets. 
Another accusation against Paul we see here was that Paul was accused of walking according to the flesh, as we saw at the end of verse 2. Possibly, uh, this was because he didn't portray himself as a super spiritual and super impressive uh, for everyone to see. He He didn't seem that impressive. He didn't have any flair. He was just plain and ordinary. And here we see Paul model for us that he knows his heart and what is true. And he trusted what was true according to Christ in his word and not about what others thought. And let's not forget about uh, the accusation against him. Paul's writing to the church that received, if you remember, 1 Corinthians that talked in depth in 1 Corinthians 12 about spiritual gifts. I think it's fair to say that Paul knows a thing or two about walking in the spirit. I mean, Paul wrote, uh, Paul's the guy that wrote about it. But regardless for us, even if we're not making uh, that, if if people are not making that specific accusation against us, there will be accusations against us that may not be true. And being able to trust what is true and not what others may think is true helps keep us grounded and not waffling with the world's opinions. And what is so helpful with this in remembering our main idea is our confidence it must come from Christ and nothing else. Because as soon as our confidence is placed in something else other than Jesus Christ, such as the opinions of others or the faulty narrative spoken against us, we'll all too easily get tossed around on the fleeting sand of the world, which as many of us know all too well, it is not a fun life to live. Brothers and sisters, may our confidence uh, confidence not come from the fleeting and ever-changing false truths of others, but on the one solid and never-changing truth that Jesus Christ is our sure foundation that will not falter even in the midst of conflict and false accusations. May we be a people that are known for trusting what is true and regularly do as verse 5 suggests and take our thoughts captive Because the reality is, as we'll see in just a second, there is something going on around us that is way deeper than we think. This is part of that hot sauce journey where it moves past our tongue and you start to feel it in your throat and gut and you start to sweat. Because we don't just live in a physical world, we live in a spiritual world where we have an enemy that feeds continual lies into our hearts and minds, causing us to focus on what is not true. Look at what Paul says in verse 3 and 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The irony here is that Paul was accused of walking according to the flesh. And Paul somewhat whimsically uh, uses their accusation against them and saying, yes, uh, they walk in the flesh as a human in a physical and fleshly and finite world. Yes, But he corrects them by saying uh, they're not waging war according to the flesh, showing that what's going on in this conflict is way bigger than they see. There's not just a disagreement among them, but rather there is a spiritual war going on, showing us Paul's next principle for entering into conflict. Number three, enter conflict, seeing the spiritual war. Again, when conflict comes up, we'd be fools to miss the bigger picture. Because what sin and Satan seek to do and have been doing from the beginning of time are to enter into all of our relationships and to divide us. And at its core, one of the main intents of sin and evil is to divide and separate. Because ultimately, our sin, it divides us and separates us from God. And it also divides and separates us from each other. 
Our enemy uses sin and evil to divide, dividing marriages and families and friendships, our work relationships, our roommates, our churches. And Paul knows this and is addressing this, the conflict going on with this Corinthian church that has divided them and separated them from Paul is a spiritual attack. If we do not see conflict and division as a form of spiritual attack and a part of a spiritual war, the remedy that is needed will fall short. This is part of the hot sauce journey where we're grasping for relief, where we're searching for something to quench the unbearable spice. And Paul shows us that the ultimate remedy for conflict is a spiritual remedy. Paul says in verse four, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Don't miss this. Our spiritual remedy for conflict and division is the gospel because at the heart of the gospel is unity. Sin and evil divide and separate, but the gospel unites and reconciles. Through the gospel, through Jesus' shed blood on the cross, we're united and reconciled back to God. And in turn, that same gospel as a response unifies and reconciles us back to each other. We need to recognize that our sin and pride and arrogance and blind spots and idols and cravings of this world divide and separate us from each other. Y'all listen, the conflict and division in our marriages and our relationships, it's a sin problem. It's part of a spiritual war. What makes the solution, uh, the hero of the war in Jesus Christ who died on the cross to destroy the stronghold of our sin. Listen, if you do not know Jesus, whether you know it or not, there is a stronghold in your life. Uh, You may recognize this or you may not. And if you don't recognize it, uh, you recognize and see the effects of it. Because what every person on this planet knows is that this world is not the way it ought to be. Your life, our lives are not always rainbows and butterflies. Because you and I know, both know, and we both experience real pain and real trouble and real grief. And every person inevitably wonders, is there more to this life than this? And the outworking of that is to run to remedies uh, that ultimately do not last. If you're not a Christian today, I want you to know Jesus Christ wants to be your remedy. He wants to break uh, the stronghold of sin in your life, in our lives, and breaks, uh, bre- bring you back to himself. He wants you to know. He wants to know you and love you and care for you and transform you into a masterpiece. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Will you trust him today? The gospel is the remedy for salvation, but it's also the remedy for everyday life. And what this means more specifically in our everyday life uh, with conflict is that we start with the understanding that we each have sin in our life that's dividing us. Marriage and relationship counseling 101. You come into my office, which I don't have an office, so you come to my house. uh, You sit down on my couch and I ask the question, hey, what's going on? You tell me the entire story, how both of you have been wronged by the other person, and now you're not getting along. He did this, she did that, and on and on. What what inevitably happens in most cases is that we see the other person's sin is greater than ours, and it really bothers us, and we can't get past it. And in some cases, let me tell you, uh, that really may be the case. There may be a terrible and horrible offense like abuse and unhealthy manipulative relationships uh, that are not healthy and we need to deal with uh, a little bit more involved. They're way more involved than maybe what I'm speaking of today. But let's be clear, there is a major difference in a physical and emotional abuse versus getting mad at someone uh, because they never put the dishes in the dishwasher. 
But in many cases, how the gospel comes into these basic dishwasher, everyday life situations that cause conflict is that it puts a mirror into our life. Because what the gospel shows us is that we are all wicked sinners, desperately in need of grace. And so is he or so is she. Instead of looking at the other person's sin problem, as terrible as it may be, when we remind ourselves of the gospel, we see the wickedness of our own sin. And yet because of the gospel, we can then turn and see our incredible and awe-inspiring, infinitely holy God that has rescued us by his grace through Jesus in spite of our sin. While knowing all of our sin and also all of their sin, and we're marveled by the miraculous grace of God all over again. Instead of looking at our spouse or friend or roommate in pride or with anger or with disdain or frustration as if we have a wrecking ball, we in turn look at them with humility, meekness, and gentleness, forgiving them all over again. Just as Christ has forgiven us because we realize we're really no better off than they are. Again, Marriage and Relationship Counseling 101 recognizes we're both two sinners in need of much grace. Yes, we see our sin. We recognize our sin. We experience the damaging effects of our sin. But in the gospel, we do not stay there. We don't stay there. The gospel is a message that is constantly on the move, moving us continually away from our sin and into worshiping the Lord. And it moves us by his grace. I mean, just every time you're faced with someone else's sin, which is every day. Let it be a reminder to each of us to look at our own sin and move, by the, and move by the grace of God away from our sin and to worshiping Jesus while still trusting, loving, while still lovingly trusting the truth and trusting that Jesus is after their heart more than you are. Listen, every time we see disunity and division, it is a glaring sign of a spiritual war that needs a spiritual remedy in the gospel. And it's a call to dive deeper into God's power and unifying grace. Again, sin and evil divide and separate where the power of the gospel unifies and unites with the divine power that destroys stronghold. Look at how Paul further reiterates this in verse 7. This is what he says. It says, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is in Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Paul was reminding them that they are each followers of Christ and that them, each being in uh, Christ, uh, God's plan for them is to build each other up and not to destroy each other. That's what Paul said in verse 7. He said, in short, if anyone is in Christ, let them be reminded that they too, they're also in Christ. And in verse 8, Paul said, in short, God gave them the authority over their churches to build them up and not destroy them. Which leads us to our next principle, number four. Enter conflict with the goal to build up and not destroy. This is part of the hot sauce experiment where you find the, when you found the remedy of milk, uh, instead of giving your friend more hot sauce to further destroy them, uh, you hand them the milk. To say it another way, uh, if you're at odds with another brother or sister in Christ, God's plan for both of you, whether we like it or not, is to encourage and to build each other up and not to tear each other down. Because again, the gospel reconciles and displays the kindness of God where the strongholds of this world further divide, tear down, and destroy. Point blank. If what we say or write or somehow communicate is intended to put down someone who is in Christ, that is a tool in the hands of our enemy. 
If we are not in a place to encourage and build up, that is a sign we need more time and need to dive deeper into the gospel of God's miraculous grace. Because when we see our brother and sister in Christ as someone for whom Christ died for and see them and see them how God sees them, we'll want to build them up in Christ and not push them away from Christ. God's desire is to draw us to himself and to worship him. And that, that, that desire from God is the same for those we're at odds with. May we not let our words or actions be used to hinder worship in a person's life. And y'all, our natural sinful flesh wants to tear down and put people in their place. But the evidence of the Spirit working in our lives is to be able to build them up to love and encourage those who have wronged us. Because if God is transforming our lives to look like him by his spirit, this is what he is transforming us into because this is what God has done for us through the cross. We see in the gospel that we have terribly wronged God in our sin, but yet God sent Jesus to build us up into his royal kingdom to sit at his right hand. He's taken our messy lives and he's transformed us into his masterpiece. And he wants us to be used to build up and encourage those around us in the midst of our conflict with others. The gospel calls us to enter into conflict, season with grace, with the goal of building up and to encourage and spur on greater worship of all people, including those we're at odds with. Look at verse, the next three verses, starting in verse 9. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letter, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Real quick one on this one. Number five, inner conflict with authentic consistency. I get it. This isn't perfect, uh, but let's just roll with it, okay? Uh, this is part of the hot sauce journey where you start to put that hot sauce consistently on everything. Again, apparently Paul was portrayed to be scary and bold with his letters and weak, frail, and a poor speaker in person. And Paul comes back and says, what I write in my letters, I do in real life. Paul was authentically consistent. Paul said in verse 11, what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Paul didn't just talk the talk, but he walked the walk. Paul wasn't some social media bot or a burner account that did things in anonymity. No, Paul was the real deal. He, was, he obviously wasn't perfect, but it was clear God had transformed his life to look radically different. Just on a quick practical level, a question to ask ourselves. Are there people or areas of our life where we enter into conflict uh, today showing a lack of consistency? Just straight up, are we able to be meek and gentle and humble and kind and patient with some people in our lives, but not others? That's a stinger, isn't it? I'm sure there are, uh, this is true for many of us, whether it's spouses or friends uh, or roommates or kids or moms or dads or siblings or coworkers. There, there are relationships. These are the relationships when it's often harder. And these are likely the areas of our life where God wants to refine us and grow us the most. New City Church. How can we grow in authentic consistency? Look at verse 12 for our next principle. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. There seems to be some in this church who are comparing themselves to each other. And flat out, when they do that, Paul says at the end of verse 12, they are without understanding. They don't get it. They've forgotten the gospel. 
Leading us to our next takeaway, number five, enter, uh, excuse me, number six, enter conflict, leaving comparison at the door. This is the point of the hot sauce journey when you and your friend are not having the same response to that hot sauce. Uh, You're sweating bullets, uh, panicking, panting, and begging for water, and your friend is as cool as a cucumber, dumping more of it on their food, and you start to get mad at them for it. You know, I don't have to do much explaining here because unfortunately, this is too easily understood for us today. Because we live in a world of constant comparison. We live in a social media age where our boredom drives, drives us to constant anxious comparison. We compare our material possessions. We compare our relationships, friendships, marriages, kids. We compare our jobs, careers, futures, past, present. We compare our, gift, our gifts and talents, our skills and assets. We compare churches and groups and our emotions. And Paul here in verse 12 tells us not to compare but more specifically, not to compare our gospel ministry with others, thinking we're better uh, than others or more or less effective than others. Paul's opponents were comparing themselves to each other, uh, which is why part of this conflict existed in the first place. And this is a practical insight for us here today. It seems like this shouldn't need to be said, but Paul hints at it. uh, So we need to say it. And it's uh, don't compare your life in ministry to someone else's life in ministry. And as silly as this sounds, this unfortunately happens in ministry far too often. And I'm, I'm, I really am thankful this hasn't been uh, an outward problem or part of our culture in our church, at least to my knowledge, you know, that, is, uh, that has led to really big arguments. But we're certainly not immune to it, and it can creep in at any time. And although we may not express, express it, leading to arguments like what we see here with Paul— we still have to guard our hearts to comparison because it's so easily easy to constantly compare our lives to other people, uh, our relationships to other organizations or jobs or churches that in turn become disgruntled where God may have you. You know, oftentimes this discontentment or disharmony that often causes conflict can sometimes find its root in comparison. Uh, it's that mean girl idea, you know, uh, but it plays out in a nice little way in churches. Uh, where resentment and bitterness can easily come in. Because what Paul points out is that when we compare our lives in ministry to someone else's life in ministry, it shows we're missing the gospel. Because the reality is we are all, all estranged orphans, but through the gospel, God has made us each his precious children. And listen to me. When we compare ourselves to each other, not just in ministry, but in all areas, we're comparing ourselves to another faulty human and to a life that we will never, ever have. But yet in the gospel, we're compared to God, who is infinitely holy, and compared to him, we're infinitely messed up. But yet when we put our trust in Jesus, God brings us, uh, brings us and moves us back to himself, and then gives us his standing before God. And then he begins to transform our lives to be like his. Don't look and compare your life to someone else's faulty life you'll never have. Look to Jesus and compare your life to his and stand amazed of the incredible grace and be eternally thankful that he is actually transforming you into that image. Again, when you enter into conflict, leave comparison at the door because it's empty and it's faulty. Look what Paul says next, starting in verse 13, for our last principle that Paul shows us. But we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. 
For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may greatly enlarge, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in other areas of influence. So Paul here, he's addressing this rebellious minority, but by pointing them to a bigger picture, while reminding them that they must focus on what God has asked them to do. He said in verse 13, we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. He said in verse 14, they were the, they were the first to come, uh, to come to them with the gospel. And his hope, he says in verse 15, that their faith increases as well as their influence over them. Without a doubt, Paul believes that he is responsible for them. Paul takes his pastoral responsibilities for this church seriously to care for them and to watch over them. In order that, as he says in verse 16, that they may preach the gospel to lands beyond them. Paul wants to see fruit in their life, find full reconciliation and resolution so that they can then advance the gospel beyond them. For Paul, the advancement of the gospel was at stake in his dealings with this rebellious minority. And Paul knew that and wanted them to see that as well. Paul wanted them to see the bigger picture and showed them what was at stake with God's mission. In turn, showing us our last turn, concluding our time, number seven. Enter conflict, seeing the bigger picture of God's mission. (laughs) The final step of our hot sauce journey, as much as we may love hot sauce, We need to remember, yes, hot sauce is great, but don't miss the greatness of the meal because it's drenched in hot sauce. It's a spice for the meal, not the meal. It's a small part of the bigger picture. Brothers and sisters, this is what I mean. If you're at odds with another brother or sister, reconcile and don't let it hinder the advancement of the gospel. Paul pushes this rebellious minority through conflict to keep their eyes focused on the mission of God. And what Paul shows us here is that our local church ministry and its effectiveness and health and the discipleship we do in our groups and the work we do in our community, all of that fuels the advancement of the gospel in other areas. I mean, healthy churches plant more healthy churches. And if we as a church want to see more churches planted and established around Tampa Bay, if we want to see more churches planted and established in Central Asia and South Asia and beyond, if we want to see more people reached and baptized and won to Christ and see more lives changed, a part of that process is seeing the gospel at work uh, is, is to enter into conflict and letting the gospel speak into it. Brothers and sisters, if we want to see the gospel change lives and reach the world, like our vision statement suggests, we need to allow God to first change our hearts, our own hearts. And part of that process in dealing with conflict is remembering that we desperately need Jesus to help us with this. The gospel has the power to save and reconcile sinners back to God, and it also has the power to reconcile us back with each other. New City Church, how how may God use us over the next few months? What does God want to do both in us and through us? Because what is incredible about the Spirit of God is that He is changing us to be like Himself. He is transforming us into His image like we've seen throughout this entire series. 
And when we are being transformed into God's image, our hearts long and love and desire what God longs and loves and desires. And what God longs and loves and desires is for people, uh, for, is for people from all over the world to be worshiping Jesus and seeing his goodness and glory, even in conflict. He longs for people of all races and ethnicities to worship him and to see his goodness. He longs for people of all incomes and life stages to worship him and to see his goodness. And as Paul shows us in our final two verses, all of this, it is not for our glory. It's not for our sake. It's for the Lord's sake. It is for his glory. Verse 17 and 18 say, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. New City Church, we don't boast in ourselves. We don't commend ourselves, uh, which we often tend to do in conflict. But no, as we've seen today, when conflict comes, our confidence must come from Christ and nothing else. Our confidence is not in ourselves. It's not in maintaining our image. It's not even in maintaining respect. At the end of the day, our confidence comes from the meekness and the gentleness of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who knows what is true, who sees the spiritual war, who, who Jesus Christ, who came to build us up and not to destroy us. Jesus Christ, who is authentically consistent and does not change, who does not compare us to others. And Jesus Christ, who never loses sight of the bigger picture. These seven principles for us were shown by Paul, but they were displayed even greater by Jesus Christ. And God, by his grace, if we are following him, is transforming us into that image. And because of that, we don't boast in ourselves. Our boast is in the Lord. Jesus Christ is our confidence, not us. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you are working through us by your Spirit. That your Spirit empowers us to become more like you. Father, even in conflict, Father, you uh, desire to change us and to shape us and mold us and to display the gospel through how we handle and manage conflict. Father, we need you, and we ask this all in Jesus' name.